Hello and welcome to the FUMC Borough Podcast. This week, Reverend Shelley is preaching from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. His sermon is titled, A Failure of Nerve, and this week kicks off our Lenten series, On the Way to the Cross, Living a Cross-Shaped Life. We appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. We would also love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for Modern Worship or 10.30 a.m. for Traditional Worship. Both of those services are offered virtually via our website, Facebook, and YouTube, or in person. Head on over to fumcm.org for more information about our safety protocols if you choose to join us in person. We are so glad that you have chosen to be in ministry here with us at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And we pray that we can all live into our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. Welcome again to First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. I'm Drew Shelley, one of the pastors here, and I just want to say thank you for joining us today for worship in this online world. Uh, We're grateful to be together, and I look forward to experiencing the presence of the risen Christ in a very real and meaningful way as we continue in worship. If you're new to our church family, we hope you'll let us know that you've been here so we can connect with you and get to know you maybe have a cup, of co- a cup of coffee with you or a virtual chat or whatever would be helpful so that we can uh, begin to share this journey of faith uh, together. Today, we're beginning our Lenten worship and preaching series called Living a Cross-Shaped Life. We continue in Luke's Gospel where we've been for a few weeks and we'll spend these 40 days leading up to Easter thinking and reading and learning, praying about how we can live a cross-shaped life, how we can take up our crosses and follow Jesus daily. We begin today in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Uh, This is part of what's called the travel narrative or the travel document in Luke's gospel. Uh, We're hearing an account from Jesus on the road to to Jerusalem. Earlier in this chapter, uh, Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's a way of saying he is embracing that which is ahead of him in Jerusalem. Along the way, we learn so much about Jesus, about the kingdom of God, and about what God is doing in Jesus. Let's pray together before we hear from Luke chapter 9. Oh God, we give you thanks for your presence with us. We thank you that you bind us together across space and time, and that even now we experience your presence in such a real and powerful way. Open our hearts and minds to what you say to us today, O God. Send your Holy Spirit afresh wherever we are, that we may truly hear from you, hear your gospel, and live it every day of our lives. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, and together we say, Amen. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Let us hear the word of God. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But that man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. 
But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks, looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. Isn't it interesting how our priorities shift as we move through life? For a long time, if you're like me, it felt like I was just waiting for life to truly begin. Somewhere in our living, it does actually begin. I always felt like I was the last to know. I think about what was important to me in high school and then college, then young adulthood. I think about marrying Shannon. It was just the two of us for a long time. We like to think that that during that decade, we were mature, balanced, and healthy, but we were growing our business, her business, trying to grow a church, dreaming about trips and remodeling our house. We were busy neglecting our families. I was buying and selling cars, trying to get to my Lexus LS430 with the ultimate package, white in color, which I finally did. It was 10 years old, but I loved it for a long time. Though I wish I had back all the hours I spent looking at Auto Trader and Craigslist and and the hours I spent cleaning and polishing and trading cars. I used to dust off my car before I got it out of the garage every single day because that was so important to me. Dust and rain make dirt, you know, and we can't be driving a dirty LS430 even in the rain. On our 10th anniversary, we made a trip to Eleuthera in the Bahamas. We saved up for three years to do that. It meant everything to me to get that trip right. I had this feeling that life would truly begin for us when we made that trip. And it was incredible. I hope to go back there someday, but I do wonder about all the energy and focus and sacrifice we made for that trip. When we got there, all the locals thought we were on a mission trip. Apparently, Eleuthera is a place of significant poverty and housing insecurity. Habitat for Humanity had a big operation there. I had to tell everybody over and over again, no, no, we're not here as missionaries. We're staying in that big fine house down by the water, the one that sits empty most of the year. Uh, We're here for 10 days to eat and just lay by the ocean. I guess you could say it's a personal mission trip, a little self-care, you know. A few years later after that, here come children. If you have children, you know that changes everything. We bought a minivan. I bought a minivan. I don't even clean it up anymore. Why would I do that? Once a quarter, I get the shop back out and suck up the big stuff and just leave the rest. We'll drive this van until our children learn how to not make such a mess. Maybe by the time they're 30, they'll figure that out. Maybe, I I don't know. I like driving the thing, and it's a minivan, but I love it. I haven't looked at Auto Trader in years now. I take my car through the drive through car wash when I get a coupon and our trips. Our trips now revolve around my family in West Tennessee or Shannon's in Crossville. Eleuthera is a bit of a stretch with a four-year-old and a four-month-old. We'll think about all that later. I don't stress about that stuff much anymore. I can't even imagine what the next big shift in priority will be for us probably will come when Annabelle and TJ are playing ball or dancing or whatever. I'm sure we'll be caught up in all of that. Uh, Then there'll be high school, college, 40 years from now, we might can retire. Who knows? Eleuthera might still be there. Like you, we're just enjoying the crazy one day at a time. I I don't know how these people in Luke chapter 9 had time 
to leave everything and follow Jesus. Here he is on the road to Jerusalem, to suffering and death. Still, these people are following him. They have drunk the Kool-Aid. They are with him. They adore him. They have clearly already left some stuff behind just to be with him. One of them slips up to Jesus while they're making their way. He says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. We want Jesus to put his arm around that man and say, thank you, friend. I really appreciate that. But instead, he gets awfully serious and kind of harsh. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You still interested? Jesus turns to another. You follow me? Yes, Lord, I sure will. But first, let me go bury my father. Jesus ought to be proud. This is important stuff to Jewish people taking care of the dead. Instead, Jesus shocks the world when he says, let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another fellow says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to everybody at mama's house. Jesus shakes his head. No one, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Once you start on this adventure, there can be no looking back. This is all very troublesome to me. These people have already made at least some sacrifices to follow Jesus. For Pete's sake, they're on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus. You'd think he'd be a little more grateful. It does help to look back and realize that this is the fourth of four misunderstandings of discipleship which Luke has shown us. These misunderstandings help us understand the disciples' lack of understanding, and maybe ours too. First, they fight over who is the greatest. Clearly, clearly misunderstanding how things work in God's kingdom. Second, John gets all upset over an unauthorized exorcist. We don't even know who he is, Jesus. He's not on our team. Jesus has to rebuke John. John, if he's not against us, he's for us, brother. Just calm down a little bit. Then third, right before this passage, a Samaritan village either ignores or rejects Jesus. James and John offer to call down fire from heaven to destroy that village like Sodom and Gomorrah. They sound like a modern-day Facebook post. Jesus, again, has to rebuke them. This is not how things work in the kingdom of God, people. Come on, says Jesus. We're not here to practice judgment and condemnation on people who reject or ignore Jesus. That is not the work that we're called to do. Then we find ourselves in today's passage. Three more false starts of well-intentioned disciples who don't seem to realize they are already on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus and stuff is about to get real. As we think about living a cross-shaped life and getting serious about our own discipleship of Jesus, these folks have much to teach us. Specifically, I think there are two crucial elements to our own understanding of discipleship with which we must grapple. The first is priority. Faithfulness in the way of discipleship requires unconditional commitment to the redemptive work of God for which Jesus gave his life. This must become our top priority above family, above self, above work, above friendship, political ideals, nationality, above everything. Giving our very best to the unfolding 
kingdom of God shapes everything else that we do. Our decisions and plans and ideas, our actions, all have to be measured against God's call and God's work in Jesus. Everything has to get in line behind the idea that in Jesus, we are part of God's work in this world. We cannot play at it or take it lightly. That's hard for people in 2021 to hear. We're conditioned to, what is the least I can do and still be a part of this? That logic doesn't work in the kingdom of God. The second thing is even more difficult. We often want to follow Jesus on our own terms. We set conditions on our discipleship. We say things like, uh, when I get more time, more money, more security, more experience, more training, why, then I'll follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, no, that isn't how this works. Discipleship is either everything and you're learning as you go, or it is nothing. The call is to jump in with both feet and see what God can do, not let me figure it all out and then try to do something. I struggle with both of these. Even as a pastor, perhaps especially as a pastor, it is tough for me to think about that which has the highest priority in my life. Is it God's redeeming work in Jesus as carried on in and through my life too, or is it something else? The way I spend my time and money might suggest it is something else. I need to think about that. And then the other, this notion of conditional discipleship. I really should know better. I'm the person who once told God that I would do anything God wanted as long as he didn't call me to be a pastor. A few years after that, there I was, enjoying engineering, a church family I loved, teaching Sunday school, getting ready to get married, and feeling so good. Guess what? The Lord said, I want you to be a pastor in my church. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Really, anything but that, anything but that, please. But you know, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life. So hard, so crazy, most every day, but also so full of hope joy, and life. I know better than to set conditions on discipleship. I know God's call comes with so much more joy and hope than I ever could have imagined. Still, I find myself saying, Lord, give me just a few more weeks on that. I need to take care of some other stuff first. Maybe you do too. Gospel work doesn't wait for our conditions to be met. It is a daily living kind of a thing, like eating and drinking. Either you do it and live, or you stop and, well, not live. I feel like I'm back in Eleuthera being embarrassed that I'm there for my own pleasure rather than on a meaningful mission trip helping others. That which I'm feeling, you may be feeling it too, is conviction. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't mistake it for guilt or shame about how you are living your lives. Guilt and shame aren't very helpful on the journey with Jesus, but conviction is. Let's recognize it for the gift that it is, an invitation to follow Jesus deeper into this incredible work God is doing, loving the world back to life, one heart at a time. But do remember, we must consider the cost as high as it is, then we must make the choice and take that next step 
whatever it is for you. What we find in the New Testament is the promise that it is probably going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done and that you will find true life enough to share with the whole world in making that choice and taking that step. You may have said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but I wonder, have you decided to walk with Him on the road to Jerusalem to actively, daily, hourly follow Him, to do what He does, to be with the people He's with, to go where He goes? Have you decided to do that? Some, some wise people have suggested to me that is when life truly begins. May it be so in your life and mine too. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.